Hello, I'm Sally Round and I'm with Phil McCaw, the founding partner of Movac. And in this first Movac podcast, we'll be chatting about the history behind the company. It's a sparkling day in the capital Wellington, where Movac's based, and what better place for our chat than the waterfront, just down from the Movac offices. So, Phil, what do you like about Wellington as a place to do business? What an amazing place to do business. I've been here for over half my life now. No, 30 years, yeah. Um, uh, Just fantastic community. I really like the harbour of Wellington, and the harbour concentrates everything into the centre of Wellington. So Wellington's just a fabulously connected city. It's very easy to get out and meet people, have conversations, and, and find inspiring people to get involved with. We've created some fantastic businesses in Wellington. We've had Trade Me come out of Wellington. We've had Zero come out of Wellington, and a whole bunch of others whose whose names. Oh, we've got Weta Studios, of course, out of Wellington. So, it's just a fabulous, creative environment to do business. So, Movac's story started 21 years ago. Take us back to 1998 when it all started. I'd been working at Deloitte Consulting way back then, and sort of um, up till '97. And um, I was talking to a good friend of mine, Richard Abbott, who was part of Deloitte Consulting then as well, and, and another friend outside of um, Deloitte's called Mark Richter. And we started talking about the business that we wanted to create, um, as opposed to, to to working in the employ of other people. We always had the ambition to create our own business. So that led to us um, founding a company we called Creatively Abbott McCaw Richter and Associates. Um, I'll call it AMR for short because that's actually what we did end up calling it. But um, AMR focused on sort of three key services, um, three key platforms that we delivered services in Wellington. So we did um, IT consulting work for a bunch of people, we did large scale systems integration work. Um, and we also started a web development company. Uh, and when you cast your mind back to this being 1998, it really was at the forefront of the internet kind of growing up. And it was a, a fantastically exciting time to kind of be involved in those lines of businesses. But when we started this business, um, we always had an eye to the future. We wanted our business to generate um, generate cash flow so that we could reinvest that back into a lot of the ideas that we had. Um, so much was changing at the time with the, with the internet really being nascent um, that we saw a whole lot of opportunities to, uh, to create wealth in other ways. Um, and we thought that that was going to be a really exciting time. You developed several guiding principles in those early years which have set you up for where you are today. And I've got the list here. Freedom to act, innovation, sustainability, relationship focused. So why are they so important? Yeah, that's interesting because you know we often talk to businesses about uh, values and guiding principles and, and how they need to be enduring and really bind an organisation. And and these ones really have for us. Um, and, and the fact that I can still kind of talk about them 21 years later I think says a lot. So if I just sort of go through and, and talk a little bit about those. So so the first one around freedom to act. Um, we'd, had, we'd been in um, significant corporate careers before we set out to do our own business. So freedom to act was really important. We wanted to be able to um, follow our own dreams and follow our own desires. So that goes back to the business that we, um, we were creating. It had to be an enabler of our dreams, an enabler of the opportunities that we wanted to pursue. We didn't want to be constrained and we've really resisted being constrained ever since. Um, even though today I'm probably more constrained than I want to be. But, but that was a very important one. 
The second one was was innovation, and I touched on that a minute ago. You know, 1998, the internet was just upon us. Um, I don't even know whether eBay existed in 1998. I'd have to really go back and, and scan the archives for that. But we could see that the internet was going to be really transformative, um, and we wanted to be part of that journey. So. Um, building a business in a way that enabled us to participate in that was crucial. And you also talk about sustainability, the 822 model, what's that? Yes, sustainability was quite interesting. This, this was uh, the, the way that this was couched in our business, this was really um, something that Mark was very, very passionate about and we bought into this. And Naturally, when you think about sustainability when you're creating a business, you think about how do I create a sustainable, enduring business. Uh, Mark's take on this, though, was it was all about lifestyle and how do we create a business that actually serves the life that we want to, we want to live. Um, and we knew the nature of these consulting businesses and large-scale project management businesses that we were working in. They're incredibly stressful projects, um, particularly working in Wellington where these things can go all the way up to ministerial level when things aren't going right. Um, so we knew we needed time out of the business to recharge. And so we created the 822 model that we, we created the business around. The 822 model was that we would be, um, we'd be available for work and billable in work for eight months of the year. We'd spend two months of the year um, in, in quality thinking time, kind of reflecting on the business and reflecting on changes in the environment, and two months completely out of the business. Um, now obviously it didn't sort of go strictly 822, but by and large across a year we would come very close to kind of achieving that. And I think that was really important to, um, to why this business, um, having morphed a few times now, still exists. And we'll get back to whether those uh, principles are still in action <laughs> a bit later. But first of all, let's talk about some of the early investments that you made. And before we get to the powerhouse of Trade Me, tell us about some of the lesser known ones and why they attracted you. Yeah, well, as we talked about earlier, um, the internet was something that you know, we clearly thought was going to change the world. And we were looking around for opportunities uh, anywhere and everywhere um, that we thought we could apply internet technology to to change the way that people do business. And one of the ones that we stumbled onto was a business that we um, we called eCargo. And eCargo actually came to us um, through the husband of one of my business partners who had this fantastic idea to backload freight. And by that I mean we have trucks going up and down the country and generally they take the return trip empty. So he had this idea about how do we actually fill up those trucks on the return trip. So we said, hey, why don't we create a freight marketplace around that? And that freight marketplace was called eCargo. So we built that with him and we launched that. And then we got a call from Carter Holt Harvey and they said, why don't we get in partnership on this? We have a huge amount of freight that goes up and down the country. Perhaps we could work together on this. And so we did. And so we started a partnership with Carter Holt Harvey and in fact, the deal we did with Carter Holt Harvey was led by a firm called Direct Capital at the time. It was the very first investment deal I ever did. So I guess I was on the receiving end of, of terms and contracts in that time. But that one was so much training for us in terms of what we've gone on and, and, and done subsequently. Um, we spent many, many years working on eCargo inside of Carter Holt and alongside Carter Holt and then they eventually um, bought us out of that business. Um, and that business continues to operate inside of Carter Hold today. So that was one that was pretty interesting. Another one which has actually gone on to great things and become a very large business, particularly in the US, is a business called Parts Trader. 
And parts trader we created after a conversation with an insurance company who said they were very frustrated about the costs of repairing cars, obviously, and in particular second-hand parts. So we said, hey, well, what we could do is build a part trading market um, off the back of that. And we started this business called Parts Trader with them, with them being a um, Cornerstone investor and a Cornerstone customer in that business at the time. Parts Trader has been in existence now for, geez, it must be nearly 15 years. Rightly or wrongly, we exited that business about 10 years ago um, and sold it to the management team around about the time of that trade me sold. But that business has now gone on to be the biggest car park marketplace in the US, has had fantastic investment support from the likes of ACC and Todd's. And look, I think that is going to be a really big business that we'll look back on with, with great pride in the future. And of course, one of those that you do look back on with great pride, I guess, is Trade Me. And you worked with Sam Morgan, who, who built the first version of, of Trade Me. What gave you the confidence to invest in him? <laughs> Sam's a force of nature. <laughs> um, I mean, that's, that, that is actually quite an easy answer, and that is the answer. Um, Sam and I had worked together at Deloitte sort of before we started AMR and um, he'd worked in one of my teams at, at Deloitte so I knew Sam pretty well, you know, he was, he was a number of years younger than me at the time but I, I just knew that he wouldn't be stopped by anything. Um, fabulously creative, really, really smart guy um, and, and so when he finally approached us after we'd left and he was still working at Deloitte and said, um, why don't we do this trade me thing together, it was a pretty easy, easy answer. And, and that kind of story flows through Movac in a sense that, you know, we knew Sam for years before we invested. Uh, we understood each other. I think we trusted and respected each other. And it was a natural fit. And how did that set you up for where you are today? Uh, obviously big time in the end. Um, so, you know, Trade Me was about a seven-year journey for us um, from investment through to the, um, I guess, the final exit event with, with Fairfax. And you know that event and leading up to the event, because Trade Me became a very profitable business before it was sold, um, fundamentally changed our lives. In fact, it scared the bejesus out of me. I, I remember um, I was rebuilding my house at the time um, with my builder, and I was sitting on the deck as the announcement was being made over the news and being broadcast, and I was absolutely terrified because I just didn't know what this was going to mean both in terms of the public-facing side of the, um, of the announcement, uh, the scrutiny that would come with that, but also how this was going to fundamentally change our lives. Uh, Sam did a fantastic job of taking the heat uh, for the whole transaction with the press, which was, which was very, very good of him, while we all hid. <laughs> um, but, but clearly, you know, the money we made out of Trade Me enabled us to go on and, and, and pivot our business into a full-time investment business, which is now called Movac. Because um, you could have just taken the money and run. Well, I guess we could have, but that would have been incredibly dull. <laughs> so I guess I think we all at the time um, felt a enormous responsibility to do good with that money. Um, and so it was a natural thing, certainly from my point of view, to, to find opportunities to reinvest it, um, put it back into the community that had helped us make this wealth and, and go on and help others try to do um, subsequent trade me. So it was a huge, um, huge responsibility and a huge honour. And New Zealand tech, that's what you want to see grow, isn't it? Why is that? Well, we live here and we all want this country to be as 
to be the best that it can be and to have a fabulous environment to bring up our children and kind of lift the standard of living for everyone. Um, so I could work on giving my money away and a lot of my partners do that and they do fabulous work in that regard. I think I can make an equal contribution by creating the next waves of jobs and wealth for New Zealanders. So that's, that's kind of what drives me. Let's fast forward to today and Movac's move from being angel investors to professional fund management and investment in growing companies. Why did you make that shift? From the time we saw Trade Me, we sort of saw a number of gaps in the market in terms of where there were holes in terms of the capital markets in New Zealand. So we exited Trade Me around about 2005 and it was... um, uh, angel investment was was very new in New Zealand. I don't even think the word existed. And so we, we basically, between my founding partners who came out of Trade Me um, with me at the time, um, set about to just do early stage angel investment. And then over the next sort of, you fast forward over the 10 years of that period of time, angel groups um, have developed really, really well across New Zealand. And there's a lot of, a lot of money starting to now flow into the very early part of the market. But what was clear is kind of the second stage of the market was empty. And we felt at that time, and we looked around, no one was doing it. And so so we thought, well, this is an opportunity, but also a need. And it was something that was incredibly, it was well thought through. You know, we didn't make this leap opportunistically, because going from managing your own money to managing other people's money is, again, another huge uh, responsibility and burden. Uh, You don't like losing other people's money. Um, so we thought very carefully about that and then made the decision to, to launch initially Movac Fund 3 as our first um, formalised investment fund. Uh, and in the last couple of years we've been investing, we launched and invested um, Movac Fund 4. And with this growth in your own company, are you still a small team? Yeah, we are still a small team, but people would probably say we're a large team in the New Zealand context. So we've got four um, full-time investment partners in the, in the firm. Um, we've got two full-time senior investment directors and um, hopefully you'll hear from them on the podcast coming up soon. Uh, we've got two analysts and we've got two people that help us with our community engagement and um, managing our investor community. And talking about your investors, you've got some notable cornerstone investors in your latest fund. How did you get them on board? Uh, through perseverance, lots of burning shoe leather, lots of conversations over a long period of time. So we're thrilled um, that we managed to get in particular um, the likes of New Zealand Superannuation Fund into our fund for a fabulous organisation, Naitahu, from from the South Island, uh, and K1W1, Sir Stephen Tyndall's group. So if I I kind of reflect on the New Zealand Superannuation Fund, we'd we'd been talking to them for since the beginning of Fund 3, before we got Fund 4, so that's going back eight years. So, you know, we've probably had a five-year relationship on and off with NZ Super um, before they made the step to come and invest with us. So, you know, the lesson behind that for other kind of budding fund managers um, or even in your own businesses is that, you know, some of these things do take a long time and um, just staying in touch demonstrating to people what you're doing you know they slowly start to learn that start to see the results that you're bringing uh, and you become a viable investment for them um, similar sort of story with with Naitahu um, we had some close relationships with some senior people in there um, that have been involved in business with us and in, in other parts of our portfolio 
they sort of gave us the introduction and we had many, many meetings with them where they kind of tracked what we did, um, said no multiple times and then you know, finally we, we convinced them that this is a real viable part of the market and a great place to invest. And those four guiding principles, just to wind up, are they still with you? Yeah, they are very much with us. You know, I think that... Um, I think that you know when you run a fund, you do wonder a little bit at times about your freedom to act because um, clearly you create an investment thesis when you run a fund, and our investment thesis has been carefully crafted with our partners Naitahu and NZ Super, and that thesis uh, means that we invest in very particular things. Um, so we kind of stay constrained within the fund in that way. I guess I'm fortunate that I still can invest off my own box, so um, from my perspective I still have plenty of freedom to act, yes. I think the things that we've probably wrapped a little bit more around those those founding values are things like um, trust and integrity are, are fundamental to the way we operate and the way that we want to operate with the people that we invest in, um, and there's a few other things as well. That's a great place to end. Thanks, Phil. And we're going to be talking more about who you invest in and why a bit later on in the series. But for now, thanks very much for joining me and uh, look forward to the next one. Thank you.